Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Diane and Willett Fang from Burger Chan coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. We follow him on Instagram at ThatGuyHouston. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hello, sir. Hello. I am a little uh, wet for the wear, but otherwise I'm good. Yeah, it's a soggy Monday in H-Town, but uh, we will persevere. Uh, Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Romano's Pizza reopens this week, seven months after being damaged by a fire at the adjacent nail salon. The good news is, they used the shutdown or the, the remediation time to renovate new floors, new kitchen equipment, new TVs, a mural. Uh, but the menu is exactly the same, which uh, suits me just fine. Matt, let me throw it to you. Are you a Romano's fan? Are you excited to see it reopen? I am a Romano's fan. I am excited to see it reopen. Uh, it was here before kind of the... Uh... Pizza 2.0 came to Houston. Um, it was one of the OGs it's in the neighborhood. And uh, I have many uh, fond memories of eating uh, both dine-in and picking up to-go uh, large pepperoni. That's, that's my go-to. Not going to apologize for it. And if I want to put pineapple on it, I'll put pineapple on it. So there. It's a free country. You can do what you want. <laughs> Thank you, Daddy. Um, it, it was like that for probably until, uh, not too, not too long before it closed. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I really like Romano's. It's a funny sort of restaurant because it's not a place I go to very often, maybe, you know, a few times a year, but for what they do that like Italian American, New York City style, you know, pizza, red sauce, pasta. I, I can't really think of very many places I would rather go for that very specific experience. And so also they do pizza by the slice, which is kind of nice because for me, I can go, I can go full glutton. I can get meat ravioli with red sauce and a slice of pepperoni pizza on the side, but it, it comes with a salad. So it's totally healthy. Right. Yeah, I mean, you order the salad and those things come on the side. So Correct. I get it. Uh, yeah, there is a certain vibe to it, you know, that does kind of, uh, it has a very specific aesthetic and you go in and, and it's like, it's all part of the experience and, and the pizza stands up. So, yeah, it's, it's got that kind of New York attitude a little bit where it's not like they're not, they're not unhappy that you're there but it feels like they're just a little bit indifferent. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's less, what can I do for you today? And it's more, what do you want? Exactly. And, and you know, whether that's like kind of done with a wink or not, you know, I kind of leave that up to, to people to decide for themselves. But I think it does, like you said, it, it adds to the environment. It adds to the experience. It's part of its, its charm for me. And so, yeah, I'm super happy that this is back. And I, I was eating, I was getting to go from Romano steadily through the, the pandemic and, and it's uh, 
closure has definitely been a loss. And I, I really can't wait to go back and get, like I said, that, that meat ravioli with the garlic bread and the, the salad that's basically just iceberg lettuce with a, a vinaigrette and a slice of tomato. It's, it's all that I, all that I need in the world, basically. Those are all my keto dreams right there, daddy. And then just one other very personal observation for whatever reason, this is one of those restaurants where I never seem, I always seem to go by myself. I, I mean, I know other people that like Romano's, but just whatever, whatever it is about when that craving hits, I'm dining solo. So I, I, I don't know what that says about me or about Romano's or about anything, but it's just, it's just one of those, it's on that short list of restaurants that I always seem to be at alone. No, I get that. I mean, right. It, it's kind of in the neighborhood and you're out and you're like, man, I could really go for a slice of pepperoni pizza right now. Boom. Romano's. Easy. Boom. Exactly. All right. Let us move on to topic number two. The Old Six, a retro soda shop and cocktail concept, is coming to Washington Avenue. Uh, this is a new project from John and Veronica Avila of Henderson and Kane. They are teaming up with beverage consultant Jojo Martinez and sweet cup gelato owner Jasmine Cheetah to make this happen. This is uh, this is the old frame tech space. Matt, let me let me just throw it to you. What do you think? Does Houston need a a boozy uh, version of an old time soda shop? Uh, I will say it's not not a a, a boozy person. But this kind of has the feels that uh, gets, I'm like, all right, I, 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 I see this. And I think that uh, location's good. The uh, partnership is good. Pretty big fan of uh, Henderson and Kane. Pretty big fan of Sweet Cup Gelato. The non, even the non-drinker in me is excited for this. And, and I think the space is going to be have a, a, a really cool aesthetic as well. So, yeah, I will say I, I feel like Henderson and Kane has really evolved over the few years that it's been open. You know, in the beginning, it was kind of, you know, it had a meat counter and obviously it sold barbecue because John and Veronica owned El Burro in the Bowl, which was at the Conservatory Food Hall and is now uh, going to be a restaurant eventually at some point. But it's become like a real like showcase for uh, various local people to sell different kinds of food, right? Whether that's tamales from Cochinita and co or the, the sauces from kin or, you know, local produce or any, any of that stuff. It's become like a real neighborhood hub. And, and I think that's to their credit and sort of having established themselves in the neighborhood. I, I think they've set themselves up for success by doing something else nearby. No, I think so. I, I agree. And it's, it's also well curated. I mean, you know, you can go in there at almost any time and find quality local product. And Houston has a, a, a lot of uh, talent in that arena. So to be able to find several of those products in one place like Henderson Kane, I'm in. No, absolutely. I, and you know, I'll never say no to more ice cream. I'm, I'm with you. Sweet cup, I think makes a good product. You know, I'll never say no to milkshakes, boozy or not. 
And and Jojo's a, a very talented cocktail mind. And and so for her to kind of curate that program and get it off the ground, I think that'll be really interesting. The one thing, uh, and maybe this is just me being a little bit obnoxious, but uh, they said they're going to have live jazz. Do you care about that? Like, cause, cause I, I gotta be honest with you. I'm, I'm not, that, that's not a, a draw for me at all. Daddy, you answered your own question. <laughs> I, uh, uh, no, no, I, I totally get it. Uh, I've seen uh, a couple things recently and, and if it's well done, I think that that could be a successful piece to the puzzle. I don't think, uh, not necessarily saying that's going to be the main attraction, but you, you and I may differ. I'm a huge jazz fan. Again, is it going to be the reason that's going to get me out of the house? Probably not. But is it something that's going to enhance my experience? If it's well done, absolutely. All right. I will, I will, I will take that. I will, uh, I will, I will reap the angry DMS and emails from, from jazz fans who want to explain to me why I should like something that, uh, that I don't like, but what, what, what we should do is, is should just uh, make some, some suggestions on things that you should listen to. And then we can revisit that after you've listened to them and get a, a more informed opinion, perhaps. Right. Right. I just, I need that like jazz intro to jazz Spotify playlist and then we'll give that to John and Veronica and they can use that like as the soundtrack for the opening of the old sex. I have no idea how we got, went in that direction, but sure. All right. Let us move on to topic number three, Dave's hot chicken, a California based hot chicken restaurant has big plans for Houston. Uh, a franchisee has leased six future locations, including one in Rice Village, one in Midtown, one on uh, Westheimer out in the West Chase District, a couple others, uh, with plans to maybe do six more and, and over the course of the next five years, as many as 30 in what they're describing as the Houston College Station area. Matt, I know you get out to California every now and then. Have you, have you ever had Dave's Hot Chicken? Uh, I have not. And with apologies to Dave and his hot chicken, uh, I can't say that I've necessarily it, that it's even crossed my radar on my West Coast visit trips. Well, I'll, I'll tell you who kind of put this on my radar is Abbas Danani, my clubhouse buddy. You can catch us every Monday night at nine o'clock. Who's Houston Eats on Instagram? You know, he's got like coming up on twenty five thousand followers. He's kind of the hot chicken king of Houston. He's very excited about this. And I, I think part of it comes from uh, Dave, whose last name I'm, I don't have written down, and so I'm not going to try to remember. But he worked for Thomas Keller at Bouchon, so he's got kind of a chef-y pedigree. They do seven different spice levels from sort of no spice all the way up to, you know, burn and eight. Uh, and the chicken is all halal, which seems like probably a smart move in Houston. I know that's becoming increasingly important to people. So are you intrigued at least if I, if I give you all of that background? Well, I mean, I, I think I'm intrigued anytime someone wants to open up 26 locations uh, just as recent as yesterday, there was a uh, 
a question on Twitter from from a semi-local non-food celebrity asking uh, if we've already jumped the shark in relation to chicken sandwiches. And I, I think the answer is no, personally. Uh, I expect to see um, more chicken sandwiches happening throughout the 2022. And I think you'll also see the uh, Sando concept start to explode as well, uh, which will also be based around chicken. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, it's like burgers, it's like tacos, it's like anything else. You know, there's a lot of demand. People like variety. They don't want to eat the same chicken sandwich all the time. You know, as long as it's good, there's room in the market for another one. So, you know, I'll be, I'll be curious to see how Dave's is received, but uh, certainly I'm optimistic. No, I think so. And, and I do think we have some good ones here. I think there's definitely a bar at this point, whereas maybe three, four years ago, that bar didn't exist as much. And there are a number of places that, that just focus primarily on, on chicken sandwiches. Uh, but there are also places that do them very well and, and it's just part of their menu. But uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. Just like coffee, like uh, pizza, like burgers, like tacos. If they're good, there's, there's room here. Clear and and Dave's hoping there's a lot of room here. He's opening 26 locations. <laughs> well, yeah the 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 franchisee that is teamed up with Dave is opening. Uh, who knows? It, you know, when whenever a restaurant announces we're going to open 30 locations, I'm always like, let let's you know get the first six open. Let's see how they do, and then we'll go from there, right? Because I mean, I remember. I remember talking to Bradley Ogden many years ago and they, they opened funky chicken and he said, Oh, we're going to open 200 of these across the country. Well, obviously turns out the Houston one was the only one. So, you know, no, not, uh, not, not trying to put that stink on Dave's hot chicken, which is, uh, which has already uh, been successful on the West coast and is growing pretty rapidly, but you know, 30 is a lot. That's all I'm saying. Well, yet daddy, he hasn't opened 200 yet. <laughs> All right, Matt, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Matt, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Dagama Canteen. This is the new restaurant in the Heights from... Oporto owners Rick and Shiva de Vriglia. It's located in MKT, which is the new mixed-use development on Shepherd, just north of I-10. Matt, let me just let me just throw it to you. What did you think of our meal at Dagama Canteen? I liked it. I liked it a lot. And uh, uh, I was very impressed with the development at M- MKT Heights. I think it's fantastic. I'm excited to see uh, that elevate uh, Houston, uh, both locally uh, and nationally. Um, I think it's got that sort of cachet. But uh, it's specific to the Gama, I I like the build out. I like the the setting. I like the food. I like the service. 
Uh, I like that they have mocktails, well curated, thoughtful mocktails on the menu. Just uh, always good to see some familiar faces there as well. It really reminded me, I, I'm a big Oporto fan and have have been uh, shame on me for for not patronizing as as much recently. Uh, but it reminded me, um, you know, how much I enjoyed Oporto and how much I will be uh, enjoying the Gama as well. No, I, I think that's all uh, very apt. And I, I agree with you in the sense that I, I, I have enjoyed my meals at Oporto and it's been, you know, far too long, uh, not even counting uh, that I didn't get there at all in 2020 that I just, it's been far too long since I've been to Oporto and I need to go back. But, but no, I, I mean, I think, right. We could even start with kind of MKT, which, you know, this is, uh, this complex was sort of created out of a bunch of warehouses and it's the setting really, uh, especially for Degama, which backs up onto that high tech and bike trail, um, you know, high ceilings, two-sided patio, I mean, really, it just couldn't be nicer. Totally agree. It's very inviting, very comfortable. You know, I thought that even the acoustics uh, were, you know, I'm, you know, my age, daddy, the hearing starts to go a little bit and can be challenging sometimes. But, uh, you know, we had a really, we had a really nice meal. Um, looking forward, you know, there was some, some, uh, changes that uh, were explained to us. They're not quite done with the space. So I'm excited to see those because you could feel the excitement that they had when they were telling us uh, about them. But yeah, just across the board. Do you have a couple of favorite dishes that really stand out? I mean, I, I, I do and I will contribute them, but I, I thought I would start with yours. Go ahead. All right. Well, uh, just a couple the the prawn and boutique, the, the Gulf shrimp and the, chili tamarind sauce, the, the crab panty puri, which are, you know, these little, you know, these sort of, uh, you know, pani puri or, or these little uh, fried puffs. Uh, they get topped with uh, jumbo lump crab. They have the, uh, the guacamole on the bottom. I mean, just, just sort of sweet and crispy and, and satisfying. And, you know, those lamb ribs, I thought, were really, really killer. So I would eat any of those again. And they, they put bacon on their bullet naan, which... I've been waiting. I, I didn't know I'd been waiting all my life for, for bacon naan, but here it is. <laughs> I uh, totally concur on the, the lamb ribs. I should say I did not uh, eat everything per my, my current uh, diet, but the lamb ribs were outstanding. I really enjoyed that preparation on, the, on that mackerel, that grilled mackerel served whole like that with the herbs and the onions uh, was really nice. And the lamb kebab was really nice too. Had a, a, a nice sort of chimichurri style pesto with it. And then uh, more of a, a yogurt based, um, almost like a satsiki, but not quite. Again, with uh, herbs and onions. And the one that uh, you didn't mention, but I have a feeling you'll agree, was that paneer dish. Well, I was, I was leaving that for you because I know how much you enjoyed it. Ah, yes, well, the three chili paneer was was super tasty. I stand corrected. You're a gentleman. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that was that was 
I really uh, enjoyed that dish. It was a nice, nice spin. I thought it was a different take. I hadn't really seen that preparation before. And the desserts. Yeah, I think we we got basically all of them, right? We got we got a sticky date cake and the. Uh, it's a was it a mango tres leches? It was a tres leches. That sounds right. Yeah. And then a carrot cake, and then so right. I, I was a spectator to uh, to those, um, but uh, they visually they were beautiful. Yeah, and I mean they 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 were all very tasty um, and a very you know the, a good balance of kind of sweet but not too sweet like mm-hmm. complement the rest of the menu really well. One thing we should say, I think, is that all of this stuff is pretty affordable. I mean, it's all kind of tapas style, shareable plates. And almost all of them run between like 12 and 18 bucks. So unless you just go like really over the top and kind of depending on what you drink, I mean, I think it's possible to get out of there for, you know, maybe 40, 50 bucks a person um, pretty comfortably and, and, eat, and eat really well. No, I agree. I, the, the value proposition is, is a high return on investment, which again, at, at that level of cooking, you know, at the space, the service, I think uh, I would uh, feel and and have already been telling people, you know, hey, we got a hot one, go, you know, go ahead, check it out. So, uh, and then the the backdrop of MKT is just is a huge bonus. So, excited right. for them and uh, look forward to seeing where that leads for Houston as well. I just, I, it, it, it has a feel of something that that's going to be, uh, I'm not sure game changer is the right word, but uh, I think the chances are, are high that it will elevate the Houston profile. Well, right. And I mean, it's the same developer as uh, Heights Mercantile, uh, the same developer as uh, the Montrose Collective, the new mixed use development that's going up next to Uchi right now. So, you know, um, Redome Capital and, and a group that, you know, cares about, you know, the aesthetics of their projects, getting the right mix of tenants. So, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm really excited about kind of what's coming to MKT. You know, Rock and Ramen is there already. Homestead, a kind of breakfast and lunch concept is coming. Uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. So, yeah, all to the good there. And uh Definitely uh, a property that that merits uh, close attention, I think, in the in the months to come. Well said. All right, Matt. That does it for our restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, I will be right back with Diane and Willet Fenn from Burger John. I am joined this week by. Diane and Willet Fang of Burger John. Let me introduce you individually so that people can hear your voices. Diane, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having us. Willet, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I thought you were going to do hey, 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 hey. I was considering hey, 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 hey. I mean, Felice will have your ass if you do. You understand that, right? That's right. <laughs> I actually, um, whenever, whenever... Uh, that guy, Houston, calls me. I usually answer with, hey, 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 hey. He gets a chuckle. <laughs> All right. Um, let me kind of start at the beginning. And, and I really only do this for married couples. Can I just ask you kind of how you met? 
Sure. Yeah. We met at Rice University. I'm going to let you tell the story. I usually tell the story. Yes. The story of how you met, not just, yes, I, I, I know that you met at Rice University, but, but how did you meet? Um, so we met in that we had some mutual Asian studies classes. We were both taking classes for Asian studies. And um, I noticed that he was trying a little bit harder than usual to get my attention and do projects together. Um, and he signed up to do this Lunar New Year dance and I didn't want to do it. But my friends um, convinced me to do it because they needed us to do it and Basically, long story short, um, he kind of was very persistent and, uh, you know, accompanied me to the library. I was very studious at the time and we were both off campus. So after a while, he kind of wore me down and I was like, "Okay, I guess I'll give this guy a shot. (laughs) I will neither confirm nor deny the story. (laughs) How long have you been married? So we have been married since 2012. So nine years. So Willett, how did you go from taking Asian studies classes at Rice to the world of professional cooking? Uh, So after we both graduated from Rice, uh, Diane decided to pursue a PhD in sociology. And uh, we ended up in Seattle. And I think being away from both sets of parents kind of being really independent and also not finding any good office jobs sort of gave me the courage to apply to a few restaurants in that it's always been a a strong passion of mine. So, uh, you know, at the beginning, I was just thinking if I could get into some kind of professional kitchen, I can up my own cooking abilities at home. It was kind of just thinking, how do I become a better chef? And if I can do it professionally, well, I can get paid for it too. So it seemed like a win-win. Uh, and, you know, mistakenly so, I thought sushi would be the best route since there's no actual cooking involved. But as it turns out, it's obviously very technical and extremely demanding. Um, but it was definitely a very good introduction to cooking. And then you were on the opening crew at Oxheart, right? As I recall. Yes. So when did you come back to Houston and how did you sort of get hooked in with Justin Yu? Sure. So I guess from Seattle, uh, Diane soon realized she wasn't interested in pursuing a PhD in sociology. She kind of discovered she preferred teaching and editing and she kind of explored both of those avenues. Meanwhile, both our parents back here in Houston are kind of like, well, we don't understand why you're still in Seattle. Um, you should come back now. So we kind of made plans to come back. And shortly after coming back, I decided I wanted to go to culinary school. So we moved to Austin. Uh, I went to culinary school. Diane went to the UTeach program at UT. And, um, you know, I worked a little bit in Austin. We moved back to Houston where I became a personal chef for a year. Uh, I cooked, you know, I guess the biggest thing I did was cooking for Tracy McGrady, uh, who was on the Rockets back then. It was the off season. And um, 
you know, after about half a year, I realized I want to go back into a kitchen. I want to learn more. You don't learn so much when you're just private chefing at someone's home. And right around that time, Justin was planning to open Oxheart. Justin and Karen. Justin and Karen. And so Diane is really good friends with Karen, uh, which is how we knew we all knew each other. And Justin was just kind of like, hey, I'm opening this restaurant. Do you want to be part of the opening crew? And I said, yeah, of course. Oh, awesome. Okay. Um, Diane, let me, let me sort of bring you back into this. So while Willard is sort of entering the world of professional cooking, you're becoming a teacher. What were you teaching? So I was teaching middle school math. I grew up in Houston. I attended Linear Middle School. Um, and when I graduated from UT with my post-baccalaureate um, teaching certification, there was a hiring freeze. And so basically nobody was looking to hire anybody. Um, so thankfully, I had some connections back in Houston. I surprisingly still kept in touch with my middle school math teacher and she informed me that Lanier um, was actually hiring mid-year. So I was able to teach at my alma mater. So basically while Will was at Oxheart, I was um, at Lanier and we basically had opposite schedules. So I like to joke that during those during that period, we basically saw each other sleep. We didn't really <laughs> see each other except for like the odd days that he was off or the odd hours that he could go in a little bit later. Right. Basically, it's like uh, Tuesday, Wednesday after school when the restaurant wasn't open. Exactly. So let me fast forward a little bit because... I know. Well, well, I, I guess we shouldn't shouldn't fast forward too far ahead because at some point you went overseas, right? I don't want to I don't want to shortchange that part of your career. Sure. So I think um, at some point while we were both working, we decided before we start a family, we wanted to go overseas uh, for a bit, just because it would be harder to do after we start a family, and we considered places in Asia, kind of places we've probably been to, seen already that we liked. And it just made more sense for Diane to uh, find a teaching job first because schools, I guess, are better equipped to do all the visa work to get us over there. And she found the job in Shanghai and uh, just so happened, my brother used to live in Shanghai some time ago. So it kind of made a lot of sense. And then so we, prior to moving, I got very lucky where the executive chef of a restaurant in Shanghai called The Grumpy Pig came to eat at Oxheart uh, when I was still there. And uh, Justin Van, uh, who's on the floor, was like, hey, will it? you said you were moving to Shanghai, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, the chef of some restaurant in Shanghai is sitting at table eight. You know, you should probably go talk to them. So I went over, introduced myself, you know. Uh, he was uh, very nice, you know, Vietnamese American. Kind of told me that he was actually planning to move away from Shanghai around the summertime. 
And I said, well, we're planning to move to Shanghai during summer, so this could be very good timing. And as it turns out, it just worked out perfectly. Like we moved over there and met up. And uh, after a couple of months, uh, we just transitioned over and I took over at the Grumpy Pig. So what what kind of restaurant was the Grumpy Pig? I mean, it, it sounds like blind, completely blind on my end, like a gastropub maybe or, or something like that. Um, exactly. It's, uh, it's such an interesting concept. Well, it's very pork centric, uh, if you can guess by the name. So a lot of uh, pork items on the menu. It kind of draws inspiration from Chinese cuisine, Vietnamese cuisine, American cuisine. Uh, it was founded by uh, three people. So the Vietnamese American chef and then a Chinese American architect and also a Shanghai native DJ who uh, lived in Japan for a while. So there was also a good amount of Japanese influence on the menu. Um, and it was just really fun food. It was honestly such a, <laughs> I mean, the kitchen was, was not a kitchen. It was like all plug-in appliances. And, but, you know, what we were able to do with, with all those, you know, very limited resources was pretty amazing. And then Diana, uh... What were you teaching in Shanghai while Willett was uh, cooking? Um, when I was in Shanghai, I worked at an international school. So I was teaching middle and high school math. Um, at the school that I was at, there were two tracks. There was the English track um, and the Chinese track. And so I was teaching in the English track. I was teaching to a lot of um, expats, um, the expat kids. I mean, I have to say teaching middle school may be like the most thankless teaching job, right? Because the kids are like the kids are the at their most annoying, essentially, and the, they're sort of the least uh, focused, I would say. So I appreciate that. But also after a year of sitting next to my our daughter, Emoji Baby, doing virtual kindergarten, I also think that's equally as thankless in that people kind of don't give kindergarten teachers enough credit. They think it's easy. I think a lot of people in general think, you know, either the same with teaching and cooking. It's like, I can do it. How hard can it be? And at least for kindergarten, I've discovered there's just that unending patience that they have for kids. Continue Like you basically have to say the same thing over again. Like, um, mute yourself, unmute yourself, uh, put, you know, pull your mask back on. And what's funny is like what I hear our daughter's um, kindergarten teacher telling these kids, I'm like, you know, a lot of adults are, are not too far from a lot of these constant reminders. So, but yes, I do appreciate the sentiment. All right. So let me, let me move this story along a little bit. Eventually you make your way back to America Willard, I know you you worked for a little while at, at Dish Society, but ultimately you decided to open, I don't know, are we are we allowed to say the the well anyway, you opened the burger restaurant. It it was um ultimately it became called Burger Chan. What kind of inspired you to to focus on a burger concept specifically um in Greenway Plaza in the food court? So that was actually 
mainly due to David Muir of Greenway Coffee and uh, John P. from Peterson from Ricebox. Uh, they were down there and they knew I was looking to open up my own place. And I was actually wanting to do a Singaporean restaurant. And the, the best location I could find at the time was actually what became Good Dog's second location in Montrose. And, you know, I think the landlords there could see I don't have experience running a restaurant. So they didn't really take me seriously. Uh, and I think it, it actually worked out really well just because I really didn't know what I was doing without having ever owned a restaurant. And, you know, David and John was just like, you're starting a family. The hours here are great. Uh, the rent is very affordable. There's a huge built-in clientele. There are all these positives to going to Greenway Plaza. And so after a couple of months of consideration, uh, we met with the, you know, existing burger restaurant owner, had dinner at Mala with, with John, actually, and, uh, you know, kind of just talked it casually over. And they ended up selling us, you know, the old equipment plus uh, the rights to, to their concept, which, you know, I wasn't going to use, but it was the only way they were going to get out of there. And, you know, just quickly came up with a new concept, the name which Diane came up with, um, since it was inspired by this, this anime slash manga that I was watching at the time, a cooking one that had an apron that had a bear on it. So essentially, essentially the Japanese word for bear plus burger. Um, and yeah, we opened it was a shit show at the beginning. We got very lucky. Industry friends came by, saw that we were struggling, didn't staff up enough. And they came and helped out. And we quickly staffed up over the next couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, it, it became quite successful. Yeah, I think, I think it was either David or John that told me, you know, some guy that used to work at Oxard has opened a burger place in the food court. It's like, you have to, you have to come try the burger. Uh, and it's, it's not necessarily that it's like, it's not like some crazy fancy burger. It's just, I would say really thoughtful in that it's, you know, griddle seared thin patties. So you get the textural contrast of the crispy edges um, you use good quality beef and, and other ingredients. You make all your own sauces. Um, and then there's that like kind of proprietary umami glaze that just sort of turns everything up a level. Yes, exactly. I mean, we are, what we've discovered after being open for four plus years is that we're very anti-gimmick, uh, anti-trend, anti-marketing too. Like, all these things that a lot of other places do, we don't want to do. And so we don't try to make a burger that's just very Instagrammable or looks ridiculous or over the top. Although some of our customers will build burgers that way and, you know, we're more than happy to make it. But we really focus on just getting all the basics right. Yeah. And I, I mean, Diane, let me, let me sort of bring you back into this. When did you kind of make the switch from teaching to being 
a part of Burger Chon full time? So that is a funny story. Um, Willett did his soft opening way back when, I think April 2016. And uh, I was at home with our daughter at the time. She was a few months old. And I strapped her to my chest in an ergo baby and I walked over and um, I wanted to wish him luck. That was the only reason. That was my sole intention for visiting him. Um, and he he looks at me um, with a look of desperation. And he told me a story that essentially was that one of his front of house had a family emergency and she couldn't make it. And so immediately I think, okay, he needs me. I can't work with this child strapped to my chest. So I call his parents who graciously came down to the Greenway Plaza food court, strapped our daughter to their chest, basically walked around the food court for a few hours while I jumped behind the counter and tried to make myself useful. Um, and so at that time, I was actually teaching part-time at TH Rogers in the gallery area. And uh, the goal was for me to ease back into teaching. But after that day, I could see that Willett had this idea of how many people he needed to open his, his restaurant and how it was going to go. And, and he assured me he didn't need me, but it was very clear that I would make his life and then ergo our whole family's life a lot easier if I pitched in. And so I had to tell the school that unfortunately I couldn't continue. Um, well, actually for a while I was still part-time. I, I wanted to fulfill my obligation at the school. So I would work at um, the restaurant. And then after the restaurant, I would go do part-time um, teaching and then told them, you know, after I'd fulfill my obligation, I, I couldn't continue. Um, so I got roped into the restaurant, but willingly roped in. Like it was a conscious decision that that made sense for our family. So you, you started the business. It, it, it takes off, right? It develops this, this kind of cult following, not just with the office workers in Greenway Plaza, but kind of with other people in the restaurant business and, you know, mouthy food writers and social media types. Um, you move from kind of your initial location, Greenway Plaza to a, like a, a bigger, more prominent space in the food court. How would you say it kind of evolves over the, the time that you're down there? And, and when did you start thinking about, you know, maybe we could do a second location? So the menu evolved by growing um, as the staff got more comfortable with the existing menu. A lot of the new additions were partly because Diane wanted to eat something like the fish sandwich. Like Diane was one day just like, I'm so sick of beef. Can we get some fish and make some fish sandwich? And it's like, sure. And so we did it. And then people are like, how do I get the fish sandwich? It's like, well, I guess we could put it on the menu. So our menu kind of grew organically based on things that we ourselves wanted to eat. And, you know, also just looking to other burger restaurants, you know, whether it's similar 
homegrown concepts or even like Burger King or McDonald's. Like what do they have on their menu and what makes sense? So a chicken sandwich makes sense. A fish sandwich makes sense. Um, just kind of growing it like that. As far as the second location, we could have gone a number of ways. We actually strongly considered revisiting that Southeast Asian, Singaporean concept. I would say we got pretty close to taking over a second uh, generation restaurant and opening that instead. Um, but that didn't pan out. And then an opportunity to open a second Burger Chan presented itself. We actually explored a few options. You know, Chinatown was actually one of those options. Bel Air Food Street looked very interesting. And part of me, would have really wanted to open a Burger Chan in Chinatown. But ultimately, uh, the one, the opportunity that popped up uh, with Braun over at 5353 West Alabama, which is where Gal Media is and Culture Map, uh, ended up being a very favorable deal. We liked the location a lot. We thought it was very central for a lot of people. Um, and so... That's how we we uh, settled on a second burger, John. Yeah, and then so let's talk a little bit about kind of where you're at in that process. When do you think you're going to open and, and maybe sort of what can we expect uh, from the new location? Uh, sure. So we're still in the middle of construction. We are hoping to open sometime in July. I would say the latest my guess would be August, but probably in July. We obviously will do a similar menu to what we had down in Greenway, but there is a chance it'll start simpler. Uh, depending on staffing right now, I, I hear from all of my friends, staffing has been a very uphill battle. Um, so we might have to downsize the menu when we open. And when everyone is, you know, fully trained and staffed up, for sure, we want to do more fun things, more interesting things, you know, dinner plates, things that are a little more elevated. And then eventually on the weekends, we also want to do brunch service, kind of just, a, you know, a brunch service that would rival any brunch places out there. And, you know, I think... Perhaps one big change that we're going to test out at the start is we're switching from fresh cut fries to frozen fries. And I think part of the reason is when we did fresh cut fries, they were very polarizing. I think getting in fresh potatoes and processing them the same way over and over again, uh, sometimes the results just weren't consistent. It was a little frustrating that they would behave differently. And we're kind of hoping if we try out, you know, high quality frozen fries, that it will be more consistent and would make more people happy. Because, you know, ultimately, end of the day, if we're not making our customers happy, then what are we doing right? I'm not just trying to make myself happy. I guess I've never really thought about the fries because I get the tots. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean... I, I know fresh cut versus frozen is such a, you know, people have very strong opinions. Obviously frozen has worked out okay for Shake Shack. So 
mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to be an impediment to achieving burger success. Yes. This, this is a what's Eric eating exclusive headline. Burger Chan reverting to frozen fries. Not reverting. First time. Oh, We've never done frozen. True. I mean, reverting in that people feel like fresh cut fries are like, if, if, if you're a chef, why are you using frozen fries? But you'd be surprised how many chefs are using frozen fries in nice restaurants. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've talked. I don't know that I've ever talked about this on the show with someone, but but essentially, as well, you were sort of saying, fresh cut fries are a huge pain in the ass. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it's awesome when a place can really commit to doing them well, but it, all you have to do is go to uh, In and Out to experience the downside of fresh cut fries because they their fries are fresh cut, but they're terrible. Yes, that agreed. is correct. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I mean, I, I want to talk about Burger John, but I, I don't want to slight um, this new initiative that you've undertaken because, you know, you, you, you know, all of, all of the advantages of the Greenway Plaza location, that built-in customer base were sort of uh, nullified by the pandemic. And so you closed the Greenway Plaza location, um, but you stayed active on social media with a program that you call Food is Love. And Diana, Correct. I think I'm just going to throw it to you and just talk about kind of what, what that is and, and why you started it. Sure. Um, so after we closed, that sort of coincided with when our, da- our daughter started virtual kindergarten. And um, as stimulating as you may think it is, it's, um, it's really... <laughs> I was trying to be funny, but it's not that funny. It was, it's not, it's not very interesting. And yet I have to sit next to her, um, but I can't do anything that super um, requires a lot of focus at a moment's notice. She's going to need something, um, some assistance. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what can I do with all this time um, now that I'm at home? And so I was thinking back to the earlier months of the pandemic when um, organizations reached out to us to essentially provide hospital meals. So these organizations were like Feed the Frontlines. Off the top of my head, I'm like blanking, but essentially all those organizations that pooled the donation dollars from people who wanted to help and then found restaurants that could use the business, ordered the food from them and then delivered it to um, the hospitals. And by July, August, a lot of those um, organizations had either, you know, their funds had dried up or the volunteers that had started the organizations went back to their their real jobs. And so I thought back to that experience and I thought back to how meaningful that was. It wasn't the difference between um, opening or closing a restaurant, but it really did um, have an impact in terms of um keeping our staff busy, you know, boosting staff morale and knowing that we were feeding people who were, you know, um, doing some real good in terms of the pandemic. And so I wanted to do the same thing, um, but obviously on a smaller scale. And so initially, Willett was very reluctant because whenever I come up with these ideas, it basically means he has to do more work and he's always looking to do less work. So um, I really had to pitch it to him in a way that it was um, meaningful. 
And so the first idea that I had was our Tamago Sando pop-up back in February. And so I just, I came up with this idea to have some fun, uh, team up with uh, Chef Gabe from Click Virtual, and they would each make a Tamago Sando and and we would have people from the community judge it and people would buy it. And then I would use those funds to basically do what the Feed the Frontlines organizations did on a much smaller scale. So I would reach out to restaurants that I knew that were struggling, that were following COVID protocols. I would buy lunch and then we would deliver that lunch to, you know, a fellow um, cafe or restaurant or bar. Um, And then in return, whoever we bought the um, lunch from, we would feed them burgers and tots from Click. So it was kind of just like a win-win, one-time, you know, food thing to say, like, we see you. We appreciate what you're doing. We've been in your shoes so we hope that you, you know, you know, you keep going and, and you know that we appreciate everything that you're doing. Yeah. And it seems like it's been maybe not like a huge phenomenon, but but it seems like it's been successful. You've been able to grow it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, from the start, it was never about um, it was never about I needed to raise X amount of dollars or feed, you know, X amount of um, places. It was never about that. It was one is better than none. Two is more than one, right? So every t-shirt sale that I made, every donation or contribution that I received, I was like, okay, I have enough money to do one more. Um, And then when we did the night market a couple of weeks ago, I was like, okay, now we have money to do, you know, five more. And then it it just kind of, um, not only is it fun, I felt like, you know, during the pandemic, it was very stressful, So I was like, if I'm going to do something, if I'm going to put in a lot of effort, it has to be fun. It has to make people smile. And so I think that that was just sort of my mantra going through this. And Will was like, okay, I'll do this because, you know, I get to hang out with Gabe in his kitchen. We get to do this thing that makes everyone feel good. Like we just need feel good moments. Good. All right. So I, I guess I shouldn't, um, I shouldn't yada yada the, uh, the click partnership, because even though your restaurant is currently closed, your burger chan is still available from Click Virtual Food Hall. How how is that going? And and yeah, I mean, do you do you think it will continue? Um, yes, it's going really well. I think um, putting our burgers on the menu has allowed new people to find our burgers. It's allowed uh, longtime fans to continue getting. Burger Chan. Um, and I know it also helps Click get some new customers that perhaps have never heard of them. And so I think it's a win-win. I think um, even after we open, it will continue. We haven't had any real discussions of stopping it, uh, just partly because I think we can hit a few different uh, neighborhoods, different audiences. So I think for the foreseeable future, you can still get burgers at Click. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out details at some point. But for now, I think it's a good thing for both of us and certainly for the customers too. Yeah, no, I, I will say it, it's, it's not the same as getting one at the restaurant fresh off the griddle, but it satisfies the craving well enough from a, from my customer perspective. 
Um, all right, I, we're, cool. we're running we're running a little long, but I I did I did just want to note you you did that uh, night market pop up. You did the uh, Burger Chan Kalachis with Kalachi Shop. Um, was that a one off or or might we see some some of those in the future? It was originally supposed to be a one off. And then after we did it, Kalachi Shop was like, hey, if you ever want to do that again, let us know because we thought it was really successful. And a lot of customers who either couldn't make the event or also did make the event and wanted more were like, yeah, please let us know when you do it again. So we have told Kalachi Shop that we are interested in doing um, another burger Kalachi in the future once we actually reopen the restaurant so that we can, you know, do, you know, get our staff involved in everything. But it's definitely, it's definitely something that people should expect sometime in the near future. That's very exciting. Very good. All right. Well, that brings me to the end of my questions, but before I let you leave, you have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Diane, let me start with you. What is your favorite ingredient? Oh my gosh, my favorite ingredient. You're asking the person who doesn't even cook. So my favorite ingredient is Willet in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Willet, how about you? Um, salt. Everything needs seasoning. You can't get away from it. Diane, what is the first band you ever saw in concert? Oh man, I listen to this all the time and I'm not prepared. I, I want to just say, I'm going to cop out and say Earth Day. I went to Earth Day. 104 okay. KRBD. Fair enough. Will, how about you? I believe my first one was Michael Jackson when I lived in Brunei. Uh, they had free concerts there. That's a very respectable answer. All right, <laughs> Diane. Diane, I feel like I'm, I, may be, uh, I may be taking a risk with this, but who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Houston sports figure, Hakeem Olajuwon. Good answer. Willett, how about you? Um, I'm going to say T-Mac. You know, I got to cook for him for half a year. He and his whole family are really cool and, uh, you know, gave me some financial stability when I was just out doing my own things. So. And he's an NBA Hall of Famer. That's a, that's a very respectable answer. All right. <laughs> Diane, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through Oh my gosh, what's my fast food guilty pleasure? You never get fast food. Oh, okay. I never get fast food, but if I do, I go to Wendy's and I get the Frosty and the small fries and I eat them together. <laughs> Will it? How about you? Uh, for me, it has to be Whataburger sausage breakfast on a bun with grilled jalapenos. All right. And then Diane, finally, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what are your go-to toppings? I always get the margarita because I like to judge a place based on the most basic pie. And will it? Uh, I probably usually kind of go the opposite. Usually something similar to a Supreme trust, you know, to see a balance of meats and veggies and how well they put them together. All right, Diane, why don't you give us the website, the Instagram, all that stuff for Burger Chan? Yeah, the website is burgerchanhtx.com. Instagram handle, Twitter handle, Facebook, all Burger Chan HTX. And of course, people can still order Burger Chan from Click Virtual Food Hall. Correct. Yes. All right. Diane and Willett, thank you very much. 
Thank you for Thank having you. us. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.